Well, as Calvin said, my name is Scott. I'm from the, one of the pastors at New Life Coolangatta, and I love coming up here to Brisbane because every time I come, I see familiar faces, but I also know that you guys genuinely love Jesus. And nothing fills my heart with warmth than knowing that people genuinely love Jesus and they genuinely love people. So thank you so much for having me here today. But we are in a new series on the book of Ephesians. Now, we're going to be in this series for 12 whole weeks. That's a long time. It's a long series, but we're six chapters in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to spend two weeks in every single chapter. So I'd really encourage you over this series, bring your Bible, bring it with you, have it in your lap so you can walk through with us as we go through the book of Ephesians. So we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. So if you've got your Bible, you can grab it out. I'm just going to read it first up as we go. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, oh, hang on, sorry. This is a New King James Version. Who reads the New King James? Yes. There's one saved person here. All right. This is going to be awesome. I read the New King James because when I got saved, that was the first Bible I picked up, and I just read it, so that's where it's at. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him we also obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance and to the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Would you join me in prayer before we start? Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word, God. I thank you that your word is powerful and it's active, Lord. That, Lord, your word gets into our hearts and our minds and transforms us, God. Will your word today transform us? Bring your Holy Spirit that we would be transformed, that we would go out and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would see people come to know you, Lord. Lord, would you help me preach this? that they wouldn't look to me, but they would look to you, the only one who brings life and life in all its fullness, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So who here likes watching movies? Yes, how good is it, right? So I love watching movies, but my wife, not so much. So me and the kids, we always watch movies Friday nights and Saturday nights. So me and the boys, we'll sit down and we'll go to watch a movie. I'll say to my wife, hey, Georgie, you want to watch a movie? She's like, nah, no, nah, not really. And so she'll just plot around the house doing things here and there. And then she'll come sit down about halfway through the movie and then proceed to ask questions. <laughs> right? 
It's like, what are you doing? And then she's like, what's happening here? What's happening there? I'm like, I have to press pause and go, but, but this is what's happening. She goes, this movie's stupid. <laughs> and I'm like, well, of course it'd be stupid. You've parachuted in halfway through. You have no idea what's going on, right? But this is what we do as Westerners when we read the ancient scriptures from a different time and a different culture that we don't fully understand. It's like we're coming into a movie halfway through trying to work out who the text is talking to and is it talking directly to me or not? So we sort of parachute in, right? We open up Ephesians and we go, I don't know what's happening here, so I'll just start reading it. And therefore, to get a better understanding of the context the book is written in and who it's written by and who it's written to, it, to helps us, that helps us get a better understanding of the intended message and who the message is intended for. So once we understand that, what we can do is we can discern what applies to us in our context and our time. It's like we've been going through the Bible in a year, and we've been reading Leviticus and Numbers and things like that. There's a lot of blood in those, right? There's a lot of killing. Like, there's a lot of animals getting sacrificed through that. Now, if we didn't understand the context, Calvin could get up next week and go, all right, everyone, bring your animals. Next Sunday, I'll bring the knife. We'll start chopping them up. And out the back, we'll have a fire. It'll be a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Right? Because we don't understand the context. We don't understand that Jesus has fulfilled the sacrificial system once and for all on the cross, that Jesus has fulfilled that. So to get the context, I'm going to set it up a little bit today just so we have a better understanding when we go through this series. So Paul started preaching Jesus to Ephesus and forming the church there around about 52 AD. And we find the record of that in Acts chapter 19. So if you want to go and read about it, go to Acts chapter 19. And he's there for about three years ministering to that region, ministering to Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey today. But in that time, in the first century, it was called Asia. You'll see a map on the screen here. It might be a little bit hard to see. Oh, that's not too bad. Um, you'll see down in the left, right-hand bottom corner, you'll see Judea, you'll see Jerusalem, where the yellow is. So Paul starts out from there. This is his second missionary journey going out. He goes through Syria, he goes up through Cilicia, through Galatia, the green part, and then he goes up through Asia, through the top part, basically near the border. And then he goes across the Aegean Sea to Philippi, to Thessalonica. He comes down to Athens. Then he crosses back over the Aegean Sea and he comes into Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is a, a seaport. It's a, it's a place where there's a lot of commerce, where a lot of trade happens there. So it's quite a major city in that time uh, where there was a lot of trade happening. And if you look at those little yellow dots around Ephesus, you'll see Laodicea, Smyrna, Philadelphia, Sardis, Tyra, Tyra, and Pergamon, these are the seven churches that we find in the book of Revelation. So when John has a revelation of Jesus Christ, Jesus says, write this to the seven churches. That's the seven churches there, all in around that area. So the gospel has gone out into Asia and affected that whole area. Now you'll see there from Ephesus, that red line that goes back all the way down to Jerusalem. Paul comes back to Jerusalem, and this is where he's arrested and he's eventually in prison and taken to Rome, and he's executed for his faith. And they believe that this letter was written in around about 62 AD from prison. And so he's writing this about 10 years after he's planted the churches there. And this is a letter that they would probably have shared around. Now, there's certain letters that Paul wrote that had specific things he would address in the church. So he'd say, hey guys, you're doing this, but that's not okay. You're doing this, and you should be doing that. And he would actually call some people out by name. But there are some letters like this one where it's not addressing specifically people in the church, 
So they would have actually shared that around to all the churches in the area. So this letter could have been shared around to those other seven churches in Asia. So it's more of a general letter. And because it's more of a general letter talking about theology and talking about the Christian life, we too today can to a degree read this letter as though it's to us, as it's been shared to us. So the outline of the entire letter in itself is in two parts. We have chapters 1 to 3, where Paul actually expounds the gospel, right? He's talking about the gospel for the Jews and the Gentiles and how we had this coming together. And so he really goes deep into the theology of the gospel. And then from the chapters 4, it starts with, therefore, in light of the gospel, in light of what God's done, in light of God's plan of salvation that you've accepted, this is how we should live. And chapters 4 to 6 is how we should live in the world as Christians in light of the gospel. Now, with all that sort of context in view and the, the letter simply laid out, let's explore chapters, chapter 1, 1 to 14. So some theologians believe it's a, a prayer or a poem at the beginning here, and it's praising God for what he's done in salvation. It's praise for the plan of salvation brought about by Jesus. And the one thing I want to highlight here is who's Paul talking to in these first few verses? Because Paul's addressing two people groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. And we know this by the pronouns that they're using here. So the pronouns you'll see him use in verses 3 to 12, he'll use we and us, because Paul was a Jew. So when he's talking to the Jews, he's saying, we and us, this is what we've inherited through the gospel to the Jews. And then he actually shifts in, chapter, in verses 13 to 14, where then he starts saying, hey, we first trust in the gospel to the Jews. And he says, and you have also trusted in the gospel, talking to the Gentiles. And then in verse 14, he actually brings it together and he says, and we, or our inheritance, he brings them all together. So why does Paul do this? Why does he talk to these two different people groups in this letter? Because there was an issue in the church at the time of this separation. They're having problems not only here, but in other parts where Paul writes. And his idea is he's trying to tell people, now there is no Jew and Greek. There is no Jew and Gentile, there's no male and female, there's no slave and free. We are all one in Christ. And they were having issues with that because the Jews were like, oh, but the Gentiles should be circumcised and they shouldn't do this and they should follow the law and they should follow the Sabbath. And Paul's like going, no, 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 we're all one in Christ. And we know this was an issue even for Peter. Peter the apostle went out and preached to the, to the Gentiles, the first Gentiles that got filled with the Holy Spirit. And he comes back, he's like, comes back to Jerusalem, he says, hey, guess what? God has granted repentance to even the Gentiles. They were filled with the Spirit as we were. So Peter knew that. But then when Paul went to Jerusalem, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles because the rules were you don't eat with the Gentiles because they're, they're dirty, they're unclean. And so Peter wasn't living out the gospel, the truth, and Paul calls him out. Could you imagine calling out Peter? Like going, hey, you're not doing the right thing. And he calls him out and says, you're not living out the gospel. And so even for Peter, it was a struggle to understand how God had brought the Jews and the Gentiles together. So does that mean we don't take verses 3 to 12 as applicable to us as Westerners or as Gentiles? Because anyone who wasn't a Jew was a Gentile. So that's us. If we're not Jews, we're Gentiles. Does that mean we don't take those verses for us? Well, no, they're still applicable to us because what Paul's doing here is clearly defining, clearly setting out God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. But knowing all this helps us put that into context. So there's three points that I want to look at in the text today. One is God the Father adopts. 
Second is God the Son redeems. And third, God the Spirit seals. Now, I know that doesn't say spirit. That says spit, 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 spirit. Spelling mistake by me. I'll claim that. So, I love it when Paul actually starts out this letter of the gospel and he explains how the Trinity is at work in salvation. You know, we often talk about Jesus, his death on the cross, what he did for us. He died to save us from our sins and we receive forgiveness through repentance and belief in Jesus and and we get this eternal life, which is absolutely true and we're right in preaching Jesus. But what Paul's doing here is highlighting that God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are all involved in salvation. They're all involved in the redemption of humanity. And you know what? Paul loves the gospel of Jesus Christ. You listen to or you read any of his letters, it's central to the Christian faith. But he also understands that there's a deeper theology, a deeper truth that salvation didn't start and finish 2,000 years ago when Jesus died and resurrected. It actually started before creation and it's still to come into full completion in the future. And this salvation involves all three persons of the Trinity we find revealed in the Bible. So let's look at God the Father adopts. Verse 3, blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the place of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. What we learn here is God the Father had a plan before the foundation of the world, before anything was created, before Genesis chapter 1, God had a plan to adopt fallen humanity into his family through Jesus Christ. You see, God planned not only would we be saved, but through Jesus we would become sons and daughters through adoption. Now, I don't know what you think about adoption. In the Western world, adoption is more of a legal thing. But in that time, especially in the Jewish culture, when you got adopted into a family, you came in and you were literally treated as one of their own. Like when it came time to inheritance, you would get the same portion as everyone else. And so adoption in in that time was much deeper than just a legal document that we have today. And when I look at that, when I look that we are adopted in the family of God through Christ, that I'm co-heirs with Christ, that just gives me an immense amount of comfort. That God is absolutely sovereign and therefore from the beginning of time he had salvation figured out and he had a plan to redeem humanity and creation from the effects of sin. It's interesting that God knew that would happen and he knew how to fix the problem before it even came into reality as we know it. This teaches us that God is absolutely sovereign and in total control. You know, for me, that knowledge takes away any fear and anxiety. You know, when we go and travel overseas, we plan, right? Like we just don't go, oh, okay, I'm going over to Hawaii. How are you getting there? I don't know. Where are you staying? I don't know. Just thought I'd take off one day and see what happens. No one does that, right? You book your flights. You book your flights, and then when you've booked your flights, you know the dates you're going. Then you book your hotel. Once you book your hotel, you book your transfers. Then you book all your sightseeing, and then you get your travel insurance. You do all this stuff. And you plan it. So before you go, you're like, cool, everything's sorted. There's no worries, right? But just like travel plans alleviate fear, anxiety, and stress and worry, and gives you comfort knowing everything's sorted, everything's paid for, everything's planned, everything's booked, so does the fact that God the Father planned before time began to redeem those that would believe the gospel through Jesus. I'm comforted because I know 
God has everything under control from the very beginning. You know, nothing surprised God. Nothing's too hard for him to deal with. In fact, it's all been worked out and locked in prior to us stuffing it up in Genesis 3, where humanity disobeyed God and sin entered the world. You see, human choice and sin cannot stop God's plan of salvation or any of God's plans for that matter. I don't know about you, but I am so comforted with that. And the key to this, the key is why. Why would God plan this salvation through Jesus Christ before the world began? It's love. Because it pleased God. Love plans a way of escape. Love plans a way of relationship. Love plans a way of adoption into the family to all that would believe. Now, in love, we are predestined to be in Christ. You know, what does in Christ mean? We have all these Christian words, right? And we just read them and go, we just assume everyone knows what that means. I mean, half the time, I don't even know what they mean, and I've got to look them up. But in Christ means you are a child of God through faith. That when you were baptized, you were baptized into Christ. You are clothed with Christ. You see, when we enter the presence of a holy God, we must be hidden in the righteousness of Christ. So to be in Christ means that God no longer sees our imperfections, our sin, but he sees the righteousness of his own son. And it's only in Christ our sin is, is uh, our debt is cancelled and our relationship with God is restored and our eternity is secure. This makes us holy and blameless before God in love. I'm so glad about that. Because when I stand before God, I can't stand before God and go, <laughs> nailed it, killed life, God. You see all that cool stuff I did. He's going to be like, oh, okay, that's great. But what about your sin? Like, who's dealing with that? Because you can't stand in front of a holy and righteous God with any sin because he is pure and holy and perfect. And so when I stand before God, the day that I die or Christ returns, I don't stand before him and go like this. I just stand there and go, I've got nothing. And I just point to Jesus. Because I'm hidden in him. It's everything Christ has done. I've done nothing to deserve it, but it's all by his grace. So this driving force of this perfect plan in Jesus is love. The Father's love for you, the Father's love for me, to the praise of his glory. I love it how each section finishes to the praise of his glory. It's not the praise of my glory, it's to the praise of his. It's God's plan and doing from the beginning of time. And this brings us to the next point, that the Father's loving plan is manifest to us and all of humanity through Jesus. So God the Son redeems. Verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. It's only through Jesus' death on the cross and the shedding of his blood that we are able to have access to forgiveness of sins and eternal life and this adoption into the family of God. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only possible way for us to be redeemed back to the Father, to be forgiven. And verse 8 then says, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, which are both in heaven and which are on earth in him. You see, we need to know he's talking to the Jews here. Christianity is not a new religion. It's a continuation of the Old Testament. It's actually a fulfillment of the Old Testament. It's a fulfillment of the Messiah that they were looking for. You see, in the perfect moment in history, God sent Jesus to fulfill the Old Testament. 
so that all the people of earth would be brought into the family of God, Jews and Gentiles in Jesus. And this is the mystery Paul's talking and revealing to the Jews here. He's talking about this mystery, saying that was God's will from the beginning, that all people across the earth would be brought in, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. This Messiah that they were waiting for, that they were hoping would come, he actually came for the entire human race. And the son, the son's part in this perfect plan of love was be the one who would come and actually carry out this plan on earth. This is the incarnation of Christ, that God himself came in the flesh, fully human but fully divine, to carry out this perfect plan. Jesus came that we would know the love God had for us before the foundation of the world. And this mystery is fully revealed in the person of Jesus. In the character, the full character and nature of God, we see in the revealed in Jesus' life and his teachings. And the ultimate revealing of God's character and nature is we see that revealed through the cross, where God himself, the Son of God, takes on the punishment for humanity's sin. It's in the cross we see the driving force of the gospel, and that is love. And not only did God make a plan out of love, he was also the one who actually carried out that plan in love for you and me. That is radical love. That's what we see displayed on the cross, where Jesus takes your sin and my sin and dies the death that we deserve. John 15, 13, I love this verse. Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this than to lay one's life down for his friends. Interesting thing is, yet God takes it a step further. And he actually lays his life down for his enemies. And not only that, but then he makes them sons and daughters through adoption into the family of God in Christ. Like, think about that for a moment. Their enemies, he dies for them and goes, I'm not even going to stop there. I'm going to bring you into the family of God into adoption and treat you as my son. And then verse 11 says, In him also we have attained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. You see, God has predestined us to be in Christ. He's predestined his son to die for you and me. And through that, he adopts you into the family. He gives you the love he has for his son. And then he gives you his son's inheritance. We become co-heirs with Christ. That, when I hear that or when I read that, that just blows my mind. I can't work that out. That just, I can't even fathom how deep that is. That's true, pure love. That's heavenly love that we can't comprehend. I can't comprehend it in its totality. And then in verse 12, he says, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Again, he's wrapping up here, speaking to the Jews. He's like, we, we first trusted in Christ. And it's all to the praise of his glory. He's fulfilled it. He's fulfilled the Old Testament and we first trusted him. And we know that because the disciples were the ones that first trusted. And then Peter went out and all of a sudden they recognized that, no, salvation has been given to the Gentiles as well. So how do we know we're part of the family of God? By the gift and sealing of the Holy Spirit. So the last point is God the Spirit seals. Verse 13, in him you also trusted. He's talking now to the Gentiles. He said, we first trusted, now in him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession Again, to the praise of his glory. So how do we get access to this amazing plan of salvation? It's through Jesus' manifestation on earth. It's through his death, burial, and resurrection. It's through the gospel. It's through the good news. And that's why knowing the gospel and knowing how to share the gospel is so important. 
Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Paul actually pleads with the church in Rome. In Romans 10, 14, he says, How then shall they call on him who they have not believed? How then shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? You see, we the church, we're actually commanded to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And upon hearing the gospel, people have this responsibility to respond to the gospel. And when they respond to the gospel, when they repent of their sins and put their faith in Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee. It's a guarantee we're part of the family of God and we will inherit eternal life with God the Father, Son, and Spirit. It says here that the Spirit is a down payment, a guarantee to full inheritance. It's like when you buy a house. Okay, let's talk about Brisbane. It's way more expensive than where I live. So let's say a million dollars, right? You're buying a house for a million bucks. I can't afford it. Someone else will buy it for me. But say you're paying a million dollars for a house. You put a down payment, right, of 10%. So you're putting down $100,000. What does that do? That locks it in, right? That's that down payment. That's the deposit for you then to receive what you've made that down payment for. The thing is, we think we've made the down payment by believing in Jesus. We think we've paid the deposit through faith to guarantee our place in heaven. (laughs) But it's God who's purchased us. He's given the down payment of the Holy Spirit to access, for us to access eternal life. Think about that. That God has bought you through the blood of Christ and given you the down payment, which is His Holy Spirit, to guarantee you will be with Him for eternity. How beautiful is that? That God, out of his amazing love for you and me, bought you at a price. And that price was the blood and the death of his son, Jesus. That's how much he loved you. 1 Corinthians six nineteen says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. You see, it's God who owns you and we're safely owned by God. Nothing can change that. And because he bought you, he will receive his bought possession, which is you and me. Like for me, there is so much comfort in that, so much security in that, the fact that God holds on to you and he's purchased you and he will receive you to himself. And not only that, he gives us the down payment of the Holy Spirit to live in us, to guide us, to direct us, to empower us to live a life for Christ in the service of God and others. And he gives it to us in this most intimate way, where he lives with us. Let's look at chapter, uh, verse 13. He says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. I love he's talking to the Gentiles here because that's us. And this verse is for us today. 2021 in Australia, in Brisbane, that word is for you. That when you trust and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have access to salvation. Because you know what? The beautiful thing is, we all share the same spirit. We all have unity in Christ. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, it doesn't matter. We're all made one in Christ. And this unity we have, it's special. Like, I love surfing. That's why I planted New Life Cool and Gutter. When Stu said, hey, do you want to go and plant New Life Cool and Gutter? I'm like, sure. (laughs) Sounds like a good idea. Um, But I love surfing. So when I meet someone who's a surfer, we have this connection, right? We have this unity. And we start talking about where we surf and what boards we ride and all that sort of stuff. And then he tells me, they might tell me about a football team and I don't don't like them. Then the unity stops, right? 
You might be overseas and you hear an Australian. You can hear him from a mile away overseas, right? And you're like, an Aussie! <laughs> I'm going to go talk to him. And you go, hey, I'm an Aussie too. Like, we have this unity in our nationality. And then you find out they're not that nice a person. You're like, oh, I'll just stay away from you. That's okay. Right? But we have this unity. But there is a special kind of unity in family. Like, think about your brothers and your sisters. Think about people in your family. There's that special unity there. And what I've found out after getting saved at 33, that before, what brought, me what brought me unity with people was my interests. But then when I got saved at 33, I recognized that when I met another Christian, someone who loved Jesus, someone who was passionate about preaching the gospel, we had this amazing unity. This amazing unity that passed all other interests. I don't care if they surf. I don't care if they like my football team. I don't care if they don't like KFC like I do and love Zinger Burgers. That doesn't bother me, right? It's not about that because we are one in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And this unity we have, we have it in one body, one baptism, one Lord, one spirit. And we're adopted as brothers and sisters and that breaks down all the walls, cultural walls, nationality walls. It breaks down the socioeconomic status of each of us because we are all one in Christ. And again, it finishes with, to the praise of his glory. I just absolutely love that. Does the worship team want to come up? So what we find in Ephesians 1, 1 to 14, it's all about God. It's actually all about God. It's all about his plan of salvation. It's all about his promise. It's all about his faithfulness. And it's all about his security in the gospel that he planned before the foundation of the world. And it's all to the praise of his glory. I love that. I absolutely love this all his work from start to finish because you know what that gives me? That gives me hope, security, peace is what I get because God's done it from start to finish. You know why? Because God is faithful. He's never not kept a promise and the Bible is testimony to that truth. The Old Testimony, uh, the Old Testament is a testimony to that truth. The Gospels are a testimony to that truth. Jesus' life and his death and resurrection are a testimony to that truth. And the Holy Spirit with us and with the church today is a testimony to that truth. That nothing can stop God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. Nothing. Romans 8 says, For I am persuaded, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All this truth is to the praise of his glory. All this truth gives us this peace that passes understanding. And because we have this peace, regardless of what we suffer and face in life, whether it's pain and suffering and sickness, it doesn't matter because God's done everything needed for deliverance and salvation from death and sin through Jesus. You know, all of this truth, it causes me to worship. And understanding this should cause us to fall in our knees in awe and wonder of his amazing plan, of this amazing grace and love that we see in the cross. You know why? Because we have full assurance of his faithfulness and his plan of redemption and full assurance that God will make all things new in heaven and earth one day. Ephesians 1, 1 to 14 shows us that God the Father planned before time began to adopt us as sons and daughters in love that God the Son was the means of bringing that plan to fruition through the reality of the cross and the resurrection in love. And that God the Holy Spirit is the seal for all believers 
And we look forward to our inheritance in Christ Jesus our Lord, all because of his perfect plan and his perfect love. All to the praise of his glory, not ours, to his. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, God, that it is your plan, that it's not my plan. That we come to worship you, Lord. We fall down on our knees in awe and wonder of your majesty, of your mercy, of your love, of your perfect plan. God, I can hardly comprehend the fact that I am brought into the family, that I am adopted in. God, would you open our eyes and our heart just to get a glimpse of what that means, a glimpse of your love and your mercy and your grace, and that it would transform us so much that we would hurt for those that you hurt for, that we would want to share your love and your grace with everyone we meet, that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior, that they would know that you loved them before the foundation of the world. And your desire is a close relationship with them, God. God, help us. Give us wisdom and discernment of how to read your word, to understand your word, that we would be able to share your love and grace with the world. And as every head is bowed, you might be here today, and this is the first time that you heard that God has loved you before the foundation of the world, that you did not know that God loved you so much that he actually wants to adopt you into the family, that you don't actually need to do anything that he's done it all, all to the praise of his glory. And he simply stands here and says, son and daughter, come home. And all we need to do is repent and put our faith and trust in God's perfect plan. So if that is you today, just simply put out your hands as if you're receiving something. Because when you receive a present, you put your hands out. Because it's all God's doing. It's all his grace. And we need to receive forgiveness of sins. And would you just pray this prayer with me in your heart? Say, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Lord, I have sinned. But I thank you that you had a plan, that you loved me before the foundation of the world. I repent and I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I believe he died for me. And I believe he rose again because you love me. And Father, I ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit that I'll be empowered by you, that I'll be adopted by you, that I'll be able to live in love and mercy and grace from this day forward into eternity. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How about we all stand? And we worship this amazing God who before the foundation of the world loved you and had a plan for your redemption.